Hey guys, and welcome to Goodversations, a collection of honest, deep dive conversations with talented voices in the theater industry. My name is Alexandra, and this week I'm joined by my friend Sarah from Thrifty Theatre London as we talk to Katie Arnstein all about her one-woman show trilogy at the Vault Festival. Katie is a multi-award winning writer and performer, and she created the It's a Girl trilogy that Sarah and I absolutely loved at the festival this year. It's a Girl consists of three one-hour long shows. First part is called Bicycles and Fish which looks back at Katie's teenage years growing up in West Midlands. Then part two is called Sexy Lamp, which details Katie's experiences in her early career. And then part three is called Sticky Door, which premiered at the Vault Festival this year and received a great deal of critical acclaim. Be sure to follow Katie on Twitter at Katie Arnstein and follow Goodversations for more episodes of this show. Make sure you check out thriftytheatre.uk for insider knowledge to London theatre and give Sarah some love on Instagram at thriftytheatrelondon. Here's our conversation with Katie Arnstein. Katie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. And both of us went to see all three of your shows, we actually. Did. Um, That's extremely kind of you. Thank you so much. <laughs> it was it was amazing, and I think we like hugged after yeah, we sticky hugged. door. I was just like, I just want to hold my friend. <laughs> So we're super excited to talk to you all about it. But first, I'd love to put one minute on the clock and oh I would love for you to tell us your life story in 60 seconds or less. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. Hey. Yeah. Hello, friends. Uh, my name is Katie Arnstein. I am an actor and writer originally from the West Midlands. Uh, I am one of three sisters. I am the daughter of two teachers and uh, I was interested in acting from a very young age. I used to go to the theatre and then uh, my parents very kindly took me to Stagecoach. That gave me the confidence to apply to drama school. I went to a regional drama school and moved to London in 2012 to pursue the dream of being an actor. And I've been between the West Midlands and London ever since trying to make that a reality. This is so funny because I've written three hours of my life down and I can't speak for 60 seconds, so that's good to realise. But I... um, uh, I'm very lucky to have brilliant friends, a brilliant partner. I love uh, the music of Bruce Springsteen, and um, I love eating. Uh, my favorite food is bread. And, and done. Done. <laughs> One minute. <laughs> done. All right. So let's jump into it. You know, what was like a key experience in your life where you kind of learned that language really has power? That's a lovely question. I was always interested in. Um, comedy that used language in um, in a clever way. I, that's the sort of the jokes that I, I uh, resonate the best with are, are sort of wordplay jokes. And I, through writing, I've realised that an everyday experience that you can think is just um, just personal is actually a shared experience, and someone will have a similar story to you. So. I found that through writing and reliving my experiences that it was a way of sort of reaching a hand out to people and people grabbing it back to me. So um, 
through writing and um, listening, I've learned an awful lot. And, and that's where I found my strength as a writer and a person, really. And, you know, fast forward to now, you've written and performed not one but three solo shows um, at the Vault Festival here in London. So could you give us like a top line of what they're all about? And, you know, what did you feel compelled to share these stories? I wrote um, Bicycles and Fish, which is the name of the first show, came out of uh, being frustrated and not getting the work that I wanted and realising that I don't think it was going to happen that way for me in terms of acting. So I entered a scratch night at Redbridge Drama Centre, which was basically, if you've seen Bicycles and Fish, the last 15 minutes of the show, which is sort of the, the drama side of it. And uh, Redbridge Drama Centre gave me the time and the space to develop it into an hour. That became the first show, which is just set when I'm 16 and it's based on growing up in the West Midlands and being a woman and when that happens for the individual and when society dictates it should happen. Uh, Sexy Lamp is, again, semi-autobiographical about my move from the West Midlands to London to be an actor and the everyday and micro-sexisms that have uh, been faced by me and basically every uh, female identifying uh, person, I think. And then Sticky Door is um, the 2014 uh, plan, which was, again, sort of coming from me feeling out of control of a lot of aspects of my life, and I wanted to take control of something. So it was um, a sex challenge that I set myself, where I uh, set myself a challenge of having no strings attached sex with uh, one person for every month and if you've seen the show you know how well that works for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh we've seen the show yeah we've seen <laughs> you may this may be easy or hard for you to answer but what would you say was the easiest thing about writing the trilogy i have found it extremely challenging to be uh, to <laughs> yeah. be um honest with you i because the first piece developed as from a 15 minute scratch night piece even when um redbridge drama center said you're welcome to develop this piece I thought, actually, I've said everything I need to say, and, and it's done now. And um, after trying very hard, we developed an hour. When the Bicycles and Fish um, version that was out at Vault Festival was completed, it was just the start of the Me Too and Time's Up movement. And what I noticed um, was that before, the, the first version we did in, uh, uh, of the show was before Me Too, and so I found that the audience members were coming up to me and saying, I can't believe that happened. That was really surprising to me. And then after Me Too, and because it was national news, even though the story was exactly the same, the audience's reaction was different. And people sort of, I felt that people believed the story more and believed me. And it, I think that whole movement gave the women in the audience the confidence to come up and say, that happened to me. And some of, some of the people were saying, that happened to me on the way here or... Um, that happened to me last week and, and from that that gave me the confidence to write more it was it was the audience reaction I think I would have quite happily stopped it <laughs> we literally left going oh yeah that happened to us at one point and oh yeah like we completely afterwards had a whole lengthy conversation about literally that of like oh this happened to me that made me feel uncomfortable and this happened at this time and it's like this happens far too often <laughs> Exactly, yeah. And I just thought because a lot of things, a lot of shows, particularly like crime dramas and thrillers, focus on the big assaults and murders of women. And these are extremely important. But what I wanted to focus on was the sort of unspoken 
tiny things that happen that make the big thing impossible to speak out about because you've allowed so much to happen to you and I'm completely guilty of that as well but you don't have the voice to say no to the big things and so it was really reassuring to hear and, and terrible in equal part to hear people say that happened to me exactly and I think when I heard that it made me want to keep speaking about it. So I guess you would say that kind of being a performer and going through some of your experiences definitely influenced the way you write? Hugely, yeah. It's I think because it was my first, Bicycle and Fish was the first thing that I ever wrote. I had read that you should write from what you know, and so it was. It made sense to do a sort of semi-bi, well, autobiographical piece, and then you can thread through the things that will make it funnier or, or um, you know, uh, more climactic in parts, but... It certainly was supported by by the reaction I was getting and the luck I was given, basically. Amazing. And how has your interpretation of your own work changed over time? You know, do you ever find like new meanings and or, you know, emotions emerge as you perform these shows more and more? That's a good question. And I think the answer is yes, even in um, ways that I couldn't predict. So, um, a good example of that is in Sexy Lamp Stuffers a song about moving to London in 2012, basically in London at the time. And I wrote that and performed it last year. And there's a line in it that said, Boris Johnson's the mayor, we think that's as bad as it can get. And within 12 <laughs> months, that has been horrendously proven to be um, maybe the most dangerous sentence I ever wrote. Because I feel somewhat responsible. Yeah, going beyond that, the change in audience perception it can change a performance of mine can change depending on what my journey was like when I came in whether someone had spoken to me and in a negative way and, and you carry I think as a woman but also as a performer it's hard to leave everything at the door and when the show is this honest and sort of conversational I found it very hard to pretend that things were fine if they weren't you know yeah. Absolutely. And also storytelling is such a powerful thing. So what makes a good story for you? I think um, one of the things that I love about theatre, which is why the the medium we've chosen is, is useful for me, is that generally the audience seem to be on side. And what I like about storytelling in particular is that if I come on stage and say, it's night time, everyone goes, okay, you don't have to do fancy effects. You don't have to you know, dim the lighting or it, I found that it's storytelling and I've been so lucky that the audience are there to be told that story and, and trust you. So that's been a real privilege to, to experience that. Amazing. And because obviously with it being the Vault Festival recently and it's quite a big event and it's, you know, fringe theatre, what's kind of considered under the umbrella of fringe theatre, and what do you think you've learned from your time at performing at the Vault? And maybe has it compared to the last time you were at the Vault? The Vault is such a brilliant uh, festival and I feel so lucky to be a part of it. And they, it's grown and grown. I think it's maybe it's in its eighth year or, or ninth year. And the, just the size of it, the, the quality of the work that they're getting, the, the variety, uh, the people that you can meet by just hanging around is so... Impressive, and what I've learnt is to keep going, and I feel so grateful to be there because they believe in my work way before I did, and they gave me a chance to to put the first one on when nobody knew who I was at all, and then to have me back with Sexy Lamp and now with Sippy Door 
was such a like a real honor and I love I think you can feel it in the atmosphere you can feel that there's a supportive nature that there's an inclusive environment that people are there to have a good time and to open their minds and see new work it, it feels very special how did you find going as, as audience members Actually, I had never been before, and Sarah went huh. last year. Yeah, I've been a few times. And I thought I thought it was interesting, because I always seem to go to West End shows, but I, ne- I haven't really seen many off-West End um, projects. And that was such a nice discovery for me, and it was very... Yeah, it was a really good time, actually. Yeah, and I... I mean, I see a lot of French theatre. I absolutely love French theatre. And I think, especially somewhere at the vault, I love the fact that not, there's not the hierarchy of audience and performer. It's very right. much... You know, performer finishes their show, come and have a chat with me at the bar, which I just love. And you can find out so much about their shows and how much effort went into them. And you can feel the love and the passion for that project. Whereas, uh-huh. I mean, I love the West End as well, don't get me wrong. But, I mean, you don't you don't have the same sort of interaction. So, I love the Vault Festival. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. Yeah, me, me too. I think there's also, because it does so much um, work in progress, that there's a really special relationship with the audience there. Because they are so willing to support you from the start of your journey. And it's like, I think it's like seeing a support act when you're at a gig and then you see them develop and then they headline a festival or something. You can say like, I saw them, I saw them before they were, <laughs> well, they were big. And that's a really special feeling that Vault impacts, I think. Amazing. And because you wrote the show, all three shows actually, and star in these yourself, you know, it kind of feels like you must be in complete control over everything that's happening on stage because as audience members, we wouldn't know if something goes wrong because, you know, it's just you up there and, you know, you could make make up anything and we would believe you. So um, can you tell us about a time when you did not feel in control when doing the show? You know, any funny onstage mishaps that you can share? Oh, of course. Well, we did. Um, first off, I think it's good. I, I have a brilliant team around me. So I do the one-person shows because I love attention, but I've got a brain. <laughs> but I have a brilliant um, director, Ellen Havard, a superb creative producer, Becky D'Souza. So I do feel very supported, even though it's just me on stage. But I had um, a few experiences in Edinburgh, at the Edinburgh Fringe, which is, it was my first proper festival and um I'm in Edinburgh, I mean, and we did um, Sexy Lamp, the second show. And a few times uh, there was a sort of waterfall-type leap uh, through the roof, which is cool. And um, a couple of times people's phones would go off. And then the first time that really threw me and I just thought, you know, it was the first time it had happened. I was really panicked. And then the second time it happened a few days later, I was able to say, oh, if that's your agent, you should answer it. And oh, like, make yeah. it, make it <laughs> because it wasn't as off the cuff, you know, as it seemed, because I uh, thought about what to say if that happened again. And I've forgotten in Sexy Lamp last year at Vault Festival, I was doing, because uh, I always keep writing to the deadline and would change it, you know, would keep rewriting until it has to go up. So sometimes it's not, it doesn't feel as, comfortable in my head it doesn't feel like in my bones um and I was doing the last song and I just played the ukulele and I was getting quieter and quieter and I thought you have to say that you've forgotten the words else people will just think you're like playing into the background <laughs> so I just said Andy to my technician is my brilliant friend Andy Hollingworth and I was like Andy what's the last what's the last line and he said oh I think uh, it's this I was like oh of course it is thank you and then everyone was like yeah Andy <laughs> so it was um 
very lovely to feel that supported and be able to ask for help. And that's another thing about the Vault and Fringe Theatre is that if that happens in the West End, you've got like however many hundreds of people and the whole cast on stage looking at you. And you can, I think sometimes you can tell the balls dropped and when it does, it's harder to get it back. Whereas in the storytelling show where it's just me and everyone's been very friendly, I feel comfortable enough to go, hey, I'm so sorry. I'm very tired. I've forgotten it. I know people help you out. It's lovely. Do you think much has changed, you know, or happened in the to the theatre industry since the Me Too movement? Because it was more kind of reflected in the film industry. Everyone was talking about it. But how do you think that affected the theatre world? I think it was a great first step. I, st- I still see underwritten female parts all the time. I still see all male casts, certainly all white male casts. I see um, a majority, like statistically, I see men writing, getting paid more. I I think also because Me Too was about sexual assault, it wasn't even about safety in the workplace. You know, so much has to change at every level. And that that starts right at the top with creative directors and um, artistic directors and the people who run buildings all the way down to the you know the lowest paid worker and about empowering everyone on the ladder up. So I'm, I think Me Too is a great start, but I don't really have time for anyone that goes. It's so much better than it was 10 years ago because we still have so far to go that I don't think we've got time to waste talking about if we're better than our grandmas, we should, we should keep fighting. And let's talk about mentors, actually. Like, do you, have you ever had or do you still have anyone that you look up to in that way? Um, I've had a lot of support from um, Ellen, the show's director. It's felt like a really collaborative process with her. Um, and Becky, the producer, they are such inspirational women and artists themselves that that's felt really lucky. Um, and it feels like a really solid team. Um, Dan Goldman is a brilliant director who works with me on Bicycles and Fists. Um, and the women, so all of the shows are named after uh, famous quotes from uh, feminists. So Bicycles and Fists is by Irina Dunn, uh, an Australian politician. Uh, Sexy Lamp is from uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick and uh, Dame Manisha Peek inspired Sticky Door. So I, I look at and because they're from different worlds, they're not, you know, they're political and um, economists and, and it made me inspired to look elsewhere and look wider than just artists in the acting industry, but go, actually, there's a universal mental, sort of mental scheme that's going on where all women in positions of power have the potential to influence and I'm looking for role models all the time. Absolutely. And um, because each of these shows are brilliant and, you know, they feel conclusive on their own. However, you know, if you've seen all three, it is such an exhilarating feeling to like piece together the whole story. And we were just saying that after we saw the shows as well. And and so going forward, you know, as you develop new material, do you want each of your shows to stand on their own or are you trying to build like a body of work that has connections and interlinks? I, I mean, the, the fact that we were able to do the trilogy on Sunday the 16th was a dream so big that I didn't even have it. I couldn't believe that it was it was possible to do that. And I found it a, a, such a challenge to write, but so satisfying now it's done. 
Um, my hope is that people can see them in any order and be interested in seeing another part. And that was shown in the trilogy. People saw the third one and then came back uh, on the sort of Sunday afternoon to see the first episode in a sort of kooky style order. And if I can keep getting it in front of as many people in whatever order, that is so exciting for me to be able to do. And I think by the end of it, I felt such a close connection with the audience. I'll remember it forever, I think. Amazing. Oh, and we've told lots of people, so hopefully people do go. Oh, thank <laughs> you so much. Because it was wonderful. And all the um, information about where the show's going is on uh, online, either on Twitter for me or um, at katiearmstein.com. So um, if anyone's um, would like to, to see it on, on regional tour, I'd love to have you there. All right. So what's the most difficult part of your creative process? What would you say? Getting started. I think the... Um, the worst things anyone could say to you, probably said to yourself. And the people always say it's easier to edit a page that's written, but which is true. But just the um, the self doubt that I have and the lack of confidence is sort of deafening sometimes. And so I find the the getting started bit so incredibly hard. That what's given me confidence is the fact that I knew. I had done it once with Bicycles and Fish when that was out there. I thought, you didn't think you could do it, and then you did. So let's try again and, and keep going. But I still find the first sentence the hardest part for me. Oh, absolutely. And it's funny you say this because we were literally talking about <laughs> yeah. this before we called you. Um, because like I've been struggling a lot with my creative processes and Sarah knows everything about that. And, and I've just kind of contemplated quitting my podcast multiple times over the last couple of months. And I think something keeps pulling me back, like conversations with, you know, creatives like yourself, you know, that inspires me and keeps me going. But I think just hearing that you said that you also struggle with these things in your own ways. That, that was so powerful just yes. now. So thank you for sharing. <laughs> oh, my pleasure. And I think it's when you see, it, it's hard in the creative process as well, because when you see someone's show or you hear someone's album, you only see that hour or you only hear that, you know, those 10 tracks. You don't think, I wonder how many tracks they wrote or how many versions this has been through. And so I'm always, especially when we, we've done the show to a few um young writers and sort of drama school students and just to sort of instill that the doubt is real and it's loud and the only thing you can do is try and make your response louder still what do you so kind of kind of following on from that what do you think are really common traps for aspiring playwrights or performers it's easy to feel imposter syndrome i think the best writers in the world probably feel it they don't 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 talk about it as much um the it's easy to doubt yourself, doubt that there's a space for you, especially as a, a female identifying artist, because we hear all the time, like, we've already got a story by a woman, or we already have a, there's already a comedy with a woman in it. And so <laughs> you feel that you're taking up space that doesn't belong to you, but this fight always has to be about knowing that everyone is an individual and everyone's story deserves to be heard. Yeah, imposter syndrome and feeling that, it's not your, that you're not good enough is probably in every job, but because the creative industry, no one's really welcoming you in. It's about, you you know, putting yourself in. When you finally get to a place or in front of anyone in any capacity, 
there could be a feeling that someone's going, okay, what you got then? It's really difficult to kind of overcome things like that. And mm-hmm. um, do you have any kind of current playwrights who you follow or that you think should get more attention? Bolt is a brilliant um, example of phenomenal playwrights getting stuff done. I have um, huge um, love for Naomi Sheldon, a good fellow who have both got pieces on at Bolt. Um, I love Annie Baker, who's you know big and, and does stuff at the National, but her work is something that I've never really seen before. I am always keen to see particularly female-identifying writers putting their their stuff up there and just feeling a part of a wider community. I think um, I will also have a proper think about that because I'm missing out oh. some amazing people, but I'll send them over in the mail. <laughs> oh, fam, I was going to say, I've just started to write some down. I'm like, okay, let's keep, keep oh, an yeah. eye on these people. <laughs> <laughs> With a real big list of actors, I don't want to miss anyone out. <laughs> yeah, amazing. And what kind of do you think would be the kinds of stories or the shows that there should be more of? I'm keen to hear a story that I haven't heard before, even if it's regardless of genre, regardless of the storyteller. And I think that's why it's so important to get new voices on stage from any backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds as we can. I'm keen to see and support as much diversity as I can as an audience member and and collaborate with people who have got interesting stories to tell. Amazing. Well, for our last kind of quick fire round, uh, we've got a couple of questions and just say the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. All right. Uh, What is something that you think everyone should do at least once? Wow. Um, Go to a Bruce Springsteen concert. So what would you say is a book recommendation? Normal People by Sally Rooney. Okay, I'm writing it down now. Normal People, <laughs> lovely. If your life story was made into a movie, who would you like to play you? <gasps> Kate Blanchett, please. Oh, <laughs> amazing. Let's put it out there. Yeah. It will happen. Where would you direct a London newcomer to get a feel for the city? Oh, great. Um, Brixton Market. Oh, yeah, good choice. Um, what would you say takes up too much of your time? Oh, um, getting ready in the morning. And lastly, what does being courageous mean to you? Knowing that it's going to be scary, but doing it anyway. Amazing. Yes. Brilliant. <laughs> well, on that note, thank you so much, Katie, for sitting down with us. This has been my privilege. Thank you so much for talking to me and for your support with the shows. I'm so grateful. If you enjoyed this episode, it would just take five seconds of your time to screenshot it and post it to Instagram. And this would give more people the opportunity to find this episode and to hear Katie's thoughts on the industry. I hope you guys have a lovely week wherever you are. Please stay safe and stay connected. You know, if if you ever want to talk, both myself and Sarah are always here and we would love to hear from you. Sending lots of love to you and I'll talk to you again next Monday.